Good day and welcome to the Climate Change Therapy Podcast, a product of BlockRadius.net, your most trusted online media outlet for urban planning and unrelated topics. I'm your host, Hank Felsman. Today is Tuesday, November 17th, 2020. Thank you for tuning in. It is now two weeks since Election Day 2020, 13 days since the United States officially pulled out of the Paris Agreement, becoming the only country to do so. President Trump announced in 2017 we would be leaving to renegotiate. Yeah, that never happened. It's been 10 days since Joe Biden was deemed president-elect by all the major networks, and Rudy Giuliani found out about this outside the Four Seasons Total Landscaping, which was a parking lot of a landscaping company in an industrial part of Philadelphia beyond the last stop on the subway line. Clearly a mistake, clearly not the Four Seasons Hotel, which is a glitzy luxury hotel in downtown Philly. Where were we? Oh, it's been eight days since Pfizer announced progress on a COVID vaccine, five days since the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency announced the 2020 election had been, quote, the most secure in American history, end quote. And the president responded by tweeting, quote, now they are saying what a wonderful job the Trump administration did in making 2020 the most secure election ever. Actually, this is true, except for what the Democrats did. Rigged election, explanation point, end quote. Deep breath. Three days since the Million MAGA March, where thousands of Trump supporters marched in D.C. to defend the president's ongoing claims, mostly via Twitter, of widespread voter fraud and a rigged election. And one day since Moderna announced progress on a COVID vaccine as well. Speaking of COVID, as of today, November 17th, there have now been 55 million cases worldwide, 1.3 million deaths including in the United States, 11.4 million cases and 248,000 deaths. Yesterday alone, there were 166,000 new cases reported. That's in the U.S. alone. Compare this to the first wave in April, where we were getting about 30,000 new cases a day, and that was enough for shutdowns all over. So we have five times that now already, and it's only going to get worse. Winter is coming, meaning more people indoors where the virus spreads more easily and Two months of a lame duck president more interested in destroying the trust Americans have had in the most important of all democratic institutions, the belief in a free and fair election, where at minimum the votes are counted accurately, more interested in blatantly lying to half the country for his own political gain than in doing anything for the people being impacted by the virus, like pass a stimulus package worth its salt. Good Lord, how I miss the good old days when all I was worrying about was climate change. My great hope, my great hope, Cousin Jeremy, is that by April 2021, we have a new president who has peacefully assumed power, a safe vaccine widely available, and all the time in the world, all the luxury in the world to go back to worrying about climate change, not COVID, not the state of American democracy, but good old global warming, the original worry, the classic gin and tonic of 21st century existential threats. Today, we are welcoming back for part two of the 2020 election special, Cousin Jeremy, Black Radius's own senior political analyst to recap the last couple of weeks and talk through the winter wave ahead. 
But first, let us take a moment, as always, to thank our sponsor, Rollin' Cases, the most rocking suitcase on wheels. Rollin' Cases. Whether you're planning an overnight at the Four Seasons Hotel at the Comcast Center in downtown Philadelphia, or just secretly, suspiciously transporting some fake absentee ballots to the Four Seasons Total Landscaping, an industrial area in the far northeast of Philadelphia between a porn shop and a crematorium, Rollin' Cases are the suitcases on wheels for you and your life's journey. Rollin' Cases. And now... Ladies, gentlemen, listeners, old and new, I bring you the 2020 election special edition follow-up episode of Climate Change Therapy with my cousin Jeremy. All right, cousin Jeremy, welcome back to the show. You want to reintroduce yourself for the populace, please? Thank you for having me back. Yes, um, I am... Cousin Jeremy, uh, I am an avid follower of all things politics related, probably too avid. I um, feel like I need to Advil after your introduction there for the headache that I just got. Um, I was also worried, I will say, that you weren't going to get to the crematorium and porn shop part of the uh, of the Four Seasons landscaping story, but you did. You did at the end. So. I had that right, too. It was a porn shop and a crematorium. I, I've heard conflicting parts. Somewhere I read it was a dildo shop and a adult bookstore. Oh, adult bookstore uh, porn shop, right? I don't know how you classify that. I think it wasn't... A, a, or, is, or would adult I, bookstore I think it was be like a, Warren Peace and Thomas Pynchon? Yeah, yeah, and that's Scott F. Scott Fitzgerald. Yeah, that's a... <laughs> Um, Ernest Hemingway, uh, but um, no, I think uh, I think it was a sex shop actually. Which you know, I mean, if you got to put someone in between a crematorium and a sex shop, it was, might as well be Rudy Giuliani. So <laughs> that tracks, I feel like. <laughs> Anyways, but I am back to uh, talk about the past two weeks and the relief that has come with the announcement and the hand wringing that has come with it and the fear still that is coming along with it mm-hmm. um and, and listeners, if, if you're just sorry if you're just joining us uh cousin jeremy and i we we did a podcast almost two hours what was it the thursday before the election so october yes. 29th so uh we went two hours on that you can check that out and now we're gonna we're gonna follow up with you right here um mm-hmm. please go on sorry no i mean i was i was that's uh, i was just gonna say there's um there's a lot to unpack in what we've seen, both in terms of the results of the election in the last two weeks, the way that the results have been counted the last two weeks, the responses by the two major parties to the legal results the last two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, because I think there's a lot of like negativity to go down. And for the sake of this podcast, I do actually think that one area where at the moment there is mostly good news is around what this election means for climate policy in this country. Mm-hmm. So I want to I wanna lead by saying that, but I think like, you know, as you were saying in your intro, going back to being just concerned about climate, there's at least good news on that front. And there will be for the next four years because there are things that the incoming president will be able to do with or without Congress that will just be key to getting us back to where we were in the Obama days. And then seemingly what seems to be his agenda is to push that even further and make it a real priority of combating climate, both across his administration and across his cabinet and within all the cabinet positions that he's going to be putting people into. So Mm -hmm. I'll lead with the positive and then we can, yeah. 
yeah, unpack well, well, and dive. Why not continue on with a positive? Uh, do you mm-hmm. want to get into that that now? Um, sure. Yeah. Are you up to speed on on the details of of the Biden plan? I, like we know that it's it's a plan. We know it's, that it's, it's a, a plan, plan which is a, yeah. it's a start. And I think we, I mean, I think we talked about this a bit in the previous podcast, but I do think, you know, whether you're of the like moderate centrist wing of the Democratic Party or whether you're of the progressive Warren AOC Sanders wing of the party, what I think is clear with Biden's plan is that not only is it a plan, it is a plan that goes farther than any other Democratic president who has ever been in office. Um, in terms of the amount of resources that he's putting towards combating climate change. And then again, towards his strategy of beyond just what legislatively can be done, who are the people that he can appoint to cabinet positions that will allow for climate policy to be policy that's instituted amongst all of the major departments of our federal government. And that actually, I think, is stemming from um, his partnerships and conversations with Uh, the Sanders and Warren aspect of the party, because that was a lot of what they were advocating for was not just looking at like, you know, the Green New Deal, yes, was the progressive ideal, but then also the strategic ways to implement climate policy within the executive and not the legislative branch as Mm -hmm. well. And that's the area that like he will have success in and that I'm confident will look vastly different the next four years, as well as he will enter us back into the Paris Climate Accord. Mm-hmm. And getting specific about his goals. So you said it's the most ambitious of any president. Um, I think you're, you're referencing the goals of his plan, which is to get to uh, net zero carbon mm-hmm. emissions by 2050 in all mm-hmm. sectors, all sectors. And in 2035, net zero electricity generation, yeah. which is, I mean, that that is a tall task in and of itself. Um Electricity, most of it in this country is produced from uh, from natural gas, which emits carbon, or coal, which emits carbon. Um, the transportation sector, uh, heating that is is more on oil. Well, tr- especially transportation is more on oil, um, which obviously emits carbon. But that that has somewhat of a longer uh, timeline uh, by by twenty fifty. Of course, airplanes are a little harder to. Um, go carbon zero but just that 2035 goal of powering your apartment powering everyone's house um throughout the country is is incredibly ambitious it's not but it's i would say it's it's farther than every president but it's pretty consistent with what a lot of other um you know cities uh aim to do other other states Mm -hmm. local levels other countries as well um it's what's really what makes it so ambitious it's it's in the context of the last four years, having an, an administration and the Republican Party, which you know is really the the only major political party of the world that does nothing right. about climate change. Right. And I would point out too that at least um, by entering us back into the Paris Climate Accord, it puts us back on even footing to have a uh, worldview of this issue as well, and brings U.S. leadership back to the global stage because it allows a Biden administration to join in again with a lot of the reforms that the EU has been putting forth and pressure other countries within the climate accord to actually stick to their own emission goals and standards. So um, I think the the one thing I'll say is why and why I'm not putting too much stock honestly into his legislative plan. And I think this gets into some of the other stuff that we can talk about is um, I just hope that people 
understand and recognized how difficult it is going to be for a Biden administration to put forth some type of grand, large legislative policies, given the reality that we're seeing in the Congress right now. Um, yeah. The Green New Deal I, Act, not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Um, which is, again, why I'm trying to put more emphasis and more of my own like positive spin on what he can do in the executive right now for the time being. Um, and why I would tell everyone, if you can, to sign up for either volunteering on the John Ossoff campaign, on the Raphael Warnock campaign, or volunteer with uh, Fair Fight, which is Stacey Abrams' organization down in Georgia, because those two Senate seats that are coming up in the runoff election on January 5th are two of the most crucial Senate seats that I think have ever been up in so, this nation's history. So why, why are, obviously, controlling the Senate is huge for legislation. Um, so you had just said that you're optimistic about what Biden can do in the executive branch. What is the relationship between what Biden can do in the executive branch and these the uh, control of the Senate? Well, Biden has precedent, and for better or worse, I mean, I don't know what this means for the future, but because of the way that Trump has ruled and not ruled, has um, enacted his policies through the executive branch over the last couple of years, I think it gives Biden a lot of opportunities to go in and enact significant executive orders to roll back a lot of the um, the rollbacks, to roll back the rollbacks, to roll back the rollbacks. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and that that's something that he can do quickly. That's something that he can do um, immediately and with little to no pushback from the Republicans. It's probably something that someone on his team is furiously gathering a list of every single thing that Trump has done in executive orders in the last four years. And on day one, he will start undoing those. Um, and then again, I mean, I want to, I really want to emphasize how important and key I think it is that like the people in his cabinet positions, not only will believe in science, but he seems to be signaling that he will direct to them that climate policy and action around climate change is going to be crucial into all of their roles and how they're working with local governments across the country. Mm -hmm. And so just to get back to the question, how does the um, this control of the Senate impact what can be done about climate change? Um, I mean, if the Democrats, if these two in Georgia win re-election, or it's not win re-election, win the election on January 5th, then you're looking at a Senate that's 50 Democrats, 50 Republicans, and that means that any legislative policy that gets through, Kamala Harris would likely be the deciding vote if it splits down party lines, um, which while not as ideal as being able to have a cushion of say 52 or 53 Democratic senators, because there are gonna be some more centrist Democratic senators who are gonna push back on some of the more progressive ideals of what Biden's plan is, it at least can get something through the Senate. And if you can get something through the Senate, that's more lasting than any executive change because that can't necessarily just be easily rolled back. Um, and it's a little more forward looking in terms of where we're going in the future as opposed to just what the next four to eight years could look like of a Biden-Harris administration. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's the difference between something and everything yes in some respects yeah well well i would say legislatively again not getting those two seats is the difference between nothing legislatively 
and something legislatively, unless you can convince, and there's an argument to be made that you could do this, but unless you could convince a handful of the more moderate Republicans and for that group, I'd really just put Mitt Romney, Susan Collins, and Lisa Murkowski in that bucket, convincing two or three of them to sign on to some type of compromised climate change legislation. So this might be getting too into the weeds here. Yeah, but, um, this is what I love. I love the weeds. <laughs> but so what? What um, can you? What can't you do with executive orders that you can only do legislatively in terms of climate change? Well, I think um, it's a good question. I actually I don't know as much about yeah. like the powers of the executive order as I probably should, but I. I think, A, like I said, it's not just so simple as the next person can come in and roll back the rollbacks and roll back and roll back and roll it back and like keep going back and forth. It's something that's more set in stone and that's harder to overturn. Um, I think an example of it, for instance, would be like if Obama had gone in in his first term and simply um, used a bunch of executive orders around like healthcare and health policy in this country then that would have been a lot easier to overturn the last four years than the strategy of going in, legislatively getting the Affordable Care Act passed. And now you're seeing how difficult it has been for Republicans to overturn that because I think not only is it something, an executive order is something that's temporary for that president, but I also don't think that it gets into like the psyche or the consciousness of the American people as much as passing an actual law and getting a bill through to the president to sign. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Um, as well as access to funds. So like an infrastructure bill is a bill. It's not an executive order that would allocate certain amount of money. And I, I, I'm not an expert on this, but I'm just kind of thinking aloud here. And if Biden says that it's better for climate, to, you know, to allocate these funds to, electric vehicle infrastructure or a high-speed rail or public transit, you know, that gets, um, you know, gas guzzling cars off the road. Um, that would be something that would be, have to be passed in, in a, in a budget um, style yeah. infrastructure bill. Yeah. And in some type of reconciliation process in, in Congress. And I think that's actually going to be a lot of the strategy of what you'll see in the legislative branch is trying to put some of those climate policies into those types of bills. Um, it's funny, I actually went to a talk like a couple years ago and um, it was it was through the ADL and there was someone who came who was like a civil rights attorney for them and a completely different topic, but he was talking about the legalization of gay marriage in this country and how in terms of the actual legislation that passed to make gay marriage legal, it actually was just two lines that sat within like a 247 page reconciliation bill and a budget mm -hmm. budgeting thing that like got through Congress. And then obviously they took it to the Supreme Court, but it wasn't this broad based bill or legislation that went through and, and obviously still made a big difference. So like there's there's tricks that they can use to continue to move the needle. Still, I think it's better to have a massive climate Mm -hmm. bill put forth in my ideal world and that's yeah. only possible the more democrats you have in the senate right now yeah and my reading and a listener can also please correct me if i'm wrong but yeah and me too because i'm <laughs> i try to be right, i think but. with the executive orders what he can do is you said like roll back the rollbacks he can um 
like adjust certain incentives. He can't ban anything, um, but he can like, you know, reinstitute standards that have been legalized as, yeah. you know, there, there are things like that, that he can add, you know, uh, fuel efficiency standards for vehicles is, is an example of one, one such uh, standard that had gotten rolled back. Um, well, and on all the like, of- wildlife drilling and all the offshore drilling and drilling on federal lands, like that is a huge part of what he will roll back immediately. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but in terms of like subsidizing the fossil fuel industry and, and um, you know, reallocating money towards renewable fuels mm-hmm. to do something substantial to create, you know, you, you, I suppose you need a, a bill for that kind of thing. I, I believe that's right. <laughs> so like, I mean, I think that there's going to be battles that they're going to have to pick and choose. Um, and it's not going to be as easy as I maybe would have originally hoped going into what the next administration would look like. But, um, but this is where though I do, I like really just want to, from the political side of things, I'm just, I want to make sure that people recognize the challenge that his administration is facing right now to institute some of these like broad overhauls that obviously need to happen, but that might not be able to. And I just hope that it, it doesn't lead to people um, getting apathetic about what it means to turn out for a Biden administration in like the 2022 midterms, for instance, or what it means ahead of 2024. Like the, the foot needs to still be on the gas, politically speaking, and in terms of voter engagement and voter turnout. Um, and I hope that that there are activist groups that are out there that are continuing to advocate and educate people on why they need to continue to turn out, even if their personal policy goals are not necessarily being achieved. Yeah, no, it, it, concern. it, it, it's yeah. a concern of mine. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, like we know how diverse uh just even just the democratic party is um mm-hmm. and they but they really they did show out for biden this year got a record number of of voters and yeah. biden has a lot of promises to deliver on that yeah. that are they you know that can maybe won't please everybody so how can I you know. stay united um but let, let's we'll, we'll get back into this i i kind of yeah. want to I, I need a therapy session. I need a talk. Yes, let's do it. The state of democracy has be, called, been all of a sudden coming to question. You know, we'll have plenty of time to worry about climate change. Hopefully, as I said uh, in, in the intro, uh, starting maybe April, May 2020, mm-hmm. <laughs> to yeah. get a vaccine. <laughs> That's what Fauci peaceful, says. That's what Fauci, I listen to Fauci. <laughs> if we get a vaccine and a peaceful transfer of power. So take me yeah. back to Tuesday night. Where were you as the votes were coming in? What channel were you watching? What were you thinking? Did you did you know that did you know that um, like Ohio and Florida, they were going to count the mail in ballots first, but then in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, they were counting the mail in ballots second. Did that catch you by surprise? Um, what, what was kind of your the, the, the range of your emotions Tuesday night and where were you? Paint, paint the uh, so- picture. Yes. So I was, um, I was at my aunt and uncle's in um, Mashpee, Massachusetts, which is out on Cape Cod because I wanted to be in a place that was 
away from people and, uh, beautiful area. and just beautiful area. Yeah. I needed a scenic, scenic, uh, environment to, to digest this all in. Um, and so I was watching just with my uncle, the results and I was on, what we were on, what were we on? I think we were on, um, ABC actually that night and, um, started to see Florida come in and got major PTSD flashbacks to 2016. And as soon as Florida started looking bad, I had to leave and go for a two hour walk, which was great. Clear my mind, got some fresh air, um, came back and it became clear, obviously that we were not going to get the results that night. Um, I originally was scheduled to go back to my apartment on Wednesday, but I, I decided to end up working remotely from the beautiful location I was in the next couple of days. Cause again, I did not want to be back around people yet. And I need to see a little bit more of what came um, in results wise before I could uh, rejoin society. Um, and so pause. I, pause. yes. And I want to answer the mail-in ballot question. Okay. Too. Yes. Yes. So, so just to go back. Go on. Yeah. Well, to go back to that, I, um, I guess, I knew going in that Pennsylvania was going to be counted that the Republican legislature in Pennsylvania had voted to not start counting the mail-in votes until election night. And we already knew going in that there were going to be well over a million mail-in ballots because that was public data that you could see coming in and that those ballots would skew heavily Democratic just in terms of the party registrations that were returning them. Um, and then obviously, like you said, Ohio and Florida were counting in advance as well as North Carolina, which is why you started to see those results coming in sooner. Um, I mean, we can get into this more, but I think what I think is crazy is that if that had not happened, we would have known the results on election night because we would have known that Biden had carried Pennsylvania. And regardless of Nevada, Georgia, Arizona, that would have been the election right there, the 270. In hindsight, yeah, I'm agreeing with you. When I w went to bed Tuesday night, I was very pessimistic about yeah. Biden's chances. Um, it had seemed like Biden was, he had momentum in Texas and Ohio. And there were whole segments about, you know, they let's go to Dana Bash and Abby <laughs> Phillip about like, could he take Texas? And they would talk about it like it's a big deal. And same thing with Ohio. You know, a Democrat hasn't carried Ohio since, uh, I guess, Obama carried it or yeah. tech, they hadn't carried texas since since god knows when lbj uh, i think you, so huh? you, but i want i press pause before because you said it was clear tuesday night that we wouldn't know the winner however was it you know like did you have a, a kind of, of sense of a feeling of like what would happen because to me it seemed like when Biden lost Ohio, he lost by Florida a lot. Usually Florida is pretty damn close. I know. It would look like Trump was winning by a lot. And and in Pennsylvania, we knew that there would be melon bells, but Trump was killing, smoking him in Pennsylvania. So, and he was smoking him in Wisconsin and Michigan, you know, before, before the night. So when you say like, it was clear that you wouldn't know, does that mean you went to bed at at peace or like like what was yeah. what was really going through your mind tuesday because <laughs> no it means i laid i laid in bed starting at 11 o'clock and then i didn't sleep until 7 a.m or i didn't sleep all night and then checked my phone at seven o'clock 11 o'clock what, what did you have work the next day yeah oh, oh yeah you're crazy man i know i know i realized i scheduled like a 
very important work meeting across like across several different departments of my organization. Tell me like about several that. Several weeks meeting. ago, how, how'd that work meeting go? When you got to the meeting, did you guys talk about work? We uh, we did, we did, because it was a presentation actually, and it was actually a nice little a nice pause because there was another team that was presenting to my team on the work that they do. And I think everyone was a little bit distracted, but it was an incredible presentation and very successful and a great example of collaboration across teams and at uh, my organization. So that sounds that was hilarious. <laughs> took, uh, Did anybody talk about what was happening in the country during the call? No, not during the call. We really, I mean, everyone, I think, just wanted to jump into it, get through it, jump out of it, and go refresh their new seats. Americans are insane. Um, you know, I took That's the entire thing. week off of work. I did. I did. That was, it, it was very smart. And knowing myself, I really should have. And I don't know why I didn't. Mm-hmm. So but that was, I, I hope that was uh, productive and healthy. So day by day, you somehow managed to, to go to yeah. sleep. Tuesday night, or you were lying. No, no, I didn't. I'm saying that I was in bed. I did not sleep. (laughs) Fair, fair enough for you. Yeah. What, what, well, what were you, were you watching CNN? On what was your news channel of, of, of choice? Are you an MSNBC guy? I mean, I sort of flip back and forth the rest of the week. Like I said, Tuesday was ABC, the rest of the week, flipping back and forth between MSNBC and CNN, pretty much. Um, Which I did, I did love all the, uh, all the memes and everything that came out about like John King and Steve Kornacki and what chart throbs they were and how it was so exhilarating to watch men point to spots on a map. And it was amazing to watch. We all, it was amazing to watch, but I think we all collectively lost our minds. It it was an election like no other. And I think John King has been doing this so long. CNN was my network, my default network, but I flipped Mm -hmm. to Steve Kornacki at times. Uh, even I flipped to Fox News just to see what the other uh, half of the world was was uh, yeah. in tune with. That guy was not so good at using the map, I must <laughs> say. <laughs> I a couple well, well, John King, he's been doing this for years and oh, years yeah. and years and you know, many elections. And usually the elections are pretty straightforward in the sense that the votes come in. There's a certain percentage and it's usually pretty steady by state. The only exceptions is that if there's like a big city in a state that could swing it because those votes will get counted later. Like in Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania is always closed till the end because Philadelphia has a bunch of votes at the end and Florida is close. And then Miami has a bunch of votes at the end. Um, So that, that happens. But this year with the whole mail and ballot things, it really kind of felt like a, like a horse race. Like all of a sudden you like momentum actually mattered this time. Exactly. Where in the past momentum wouldn't really matter because you would see, oh, you know, let's say like, uh, you know, Obama just made up a bunch of votes on McCain. Oh, that's just because Pittsburgh just announced a bunch of ballots. But this year, momentum really meant something. It was very different. And I don't, I, my feeling was that the networks did not great, do a great job of communicating that in advance, preparing us. I was not prepared for that. When I was, when we were watching Ohio and Texas come in, they were not talking about how, oh, well, they counted the mail-in ballots first right? so right. that there would be a whole Trump surge. They didn't prepare for that. So that really contributed to the anxiety. But by day three, by Thursday, yeah. Thursday night, I was still in the fetal position on my couch watching John King do this. Thursday, he probably, 
I don't know how much he, how he's slept. Uh, they had Phil Mattingly in for a little bit, but at some point, mm-hmm. John King was talking about the momentum swings, and he was saying, you know, some people, you know, would find find this very interesting. I personally find it fascinating, and that's when I realized he'd just been repeating himself. But he finds it fascinating because this is an election that's truly different from others. And when he was hooked, when he said that, when he said he was fa- he would find it fascinating, you know, that passion sh- shone through. And from then on, yeah. I found it fascinating and I was hooked. I don't think I had CNN off until, you know, three or four days ago. I knew I'd learned so many names of so many counties in this country. I'm like, being like Allegheny, Maricopa, <laughs> exactly Maricopa, which went uh, Democrat it's for the cab. first time. Cab, it's Cab. Thank you. Um, I think I'm confusing to Cab and Cobb. Oh, you might be right. Those are two. No, no, you're right. But um, both counties in Georgia, Decab and Cobb. Yeah, there's a Decab Avenue in Brooklyn, but anyway. there is. I lived. Maybe I lived. Uh, I lived right off to Cab. For uh, for about six months. Um. Anyways, so uh, yeah, so, so just just walk me through the week. So you had yeah. trouble sleeping Tuesday night, but you worked Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Um. Oh, what Friday. did you do Wednesday night? What did you do Thursday night? What did you do Friday night? Take, Wednesday night through all yeah. the way till Saturday morning. Wednesday night. We started watching the results, and by we, I mean my aunt and uncle and my cousin who was there and decided we couldn't do that and we needed a distraction. And so we watched, um, rewatched Little Miss Sunshine, which I must say is a delightful movie. And for Very anyone delightful who- delightful movie, but let's fast forward to Thursday night now. Okay, Thursday night, <laughs> Thursday exactly. night I was feeling- so Thursday night I was feeling very good. Um, I, beyond watching CNN and MSNBC, I also follow Nate Silver on, who's the guy who runs 538 yeah. on Twitter and on the 538 site. And I follow um, uh, Dave Wasserman, who um, runs Redistrict, which is part of like the NBC election desk um, that calls the results and calls the states. And essentially these two guys like are data analysis guys that were walking through, you know, what's being counted, what is left outstanding, where are these outstanding votes coming from, what margins do each of the candidates need in order to carry these states. And um, Thursday night, it became very clear that the two of them were saying without saying it because they both worked for major networks that Biden was going to win. And from then on, it was just sort of a horse race to see which networks and which states were going to be called first. So let me let me so let me just see if we're on the same page here. When I went to sleep on Tuesday, I was pessimistic. It was still unclear. I had, there was some hope, but I was more pessimistic than optimistic for Biden's chances. Um, Wednesday morning, it's, he had taken a slight lead in Wisconsin. So then it became this whole, then the storyline of the mail-in ballots became, yeah. became a thing. It didn't become a story until Wednesday. Truly I like know. this whole I idea know. of momentum. That's, I mean, that caused so much anxiety. They they should have done a better job about communicating that. It's also it was also irresponsible because it's fodder for exactly what Trump's doing right now. I it think. really it is oh. it is. Um, so anyway, so Wednesday morning I woke up. Biden had the slight lead in Wisconsin. When Biden won Wisconsin that afternoon, Wednesday afternoon, that's when I started to believe. And mm-hmm. that's when that's when I flipped from pessimistic to optimistic for Biden's chances. I think he won't got Michigan called for him that night. That's right. Is, is that, was that your experience as well? That was my experience too. Yes. And then it sort of came down to, um, 
I think Nevada was always looking good. And so there was no question that that was going to be called, but he still, I believe he still needed one of the other three. And so between Pennsylvania, Arizona, and Georgia, it was a question of, it was looking better in Pennsylvania and Arizona than Georgia for a while, which is kind of crazy because I think they're in the middle of a recount in Georgia, but overall Biden's vote totals, the lead that he has in Georgia exceeds his lead in Arizona, which is wild. Um, but it just became a Fox question. News of, had called Arizona yeah, exactly. on Wednesday also. So by Wednesday night, all Biden needed to win, according to Fox News, was Nevada, which seemed like he was going to win. Well, and that, I think, is a major reason why Fox News was not calling Nevada, because it would have gotten him to exactly 270 votes. And then they would, ironically, as Fox News, have had to been the first to declare Biden the president-elect. Yeah. And then meanwhile, all of Thursday, I don't think any states were called Thursday. Thursday, just votes continue right. to trickle in. Thursday was all about the lead in Pennsylvania shrinking. Yeah, exactly. Thursday night was the night where I stayed up till 530 in the morning. Well, me too, actually, because I thought it was going to be called that. I'm like, how is this? About? I was like, I can't go to sleep until they have to call this. I just I can't sleep. <laughs> I fell asleep at 530. I woke up Friday. They still hadn't called it. I woke up Saturday morning. They still hadn't called it. So what's really funny is, uh, so going going to Saturday, okay, let's just jump to the good news when it yes. was called. Great. Um, I've been texting with a friend of mine who works actually at MSNBC um, behind the scenes there. And, you know, we text about politics all the time, but we were texting back and forth as the slow trickle was coming through throughout the week. And so I feel like I deserve a little bit of credit because I texted her at like 1126 on Saturday morning. And I was like, this is so irresponsible of the media. How could they not have called this yet? They need to call the race. They can't keep us hanging like this. It's so clear what's happening. And uh -huh. she just responded in all caps. They literally just called it. <laughs> so, yeah. And then I started to hear uh, people screaming outside in my apartment and cars honking. And um, and I called my parents and I told my mom to turn on TV and then she started crying. Then I cried three <laughs> times. Where, where's your apartment? It's in? In Cambridge, in Cambridge. by uh, like Central Square. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And then I spent the rest of the day out on a patio with a couple of friends at a local Mexican restaurant drinking margaritas. And it was delightful. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds pretty amazing. Um, where were so you I, when, uh, yeah, you know exactly where I was. That's on the couch. No, come on. What city do I live in? Oh, Philly out on the streets dancing. Philly, Philly. <laughs> that was the city that, yep. that got uh, Pennsylvania called and therefore the election called that mm -hmm. was a city where at the time that it was called by all the major networks, Rudy Giuliani and Corey Lewandowski. I know we're standing, <laughs> we're standing in the parking lot between a porn shop and a crematorium uh, talking about widespread voter fraud. I'm um, rolling I out just... uh, child uh, uh, molesters or. Um... Well, see stuff like that may is what convinces me that we're not actually living in reality but we're living in some sick simulation that someone is writing because on top of that if you want to talk about just like poetic justice or just things that no fiction writer could make up do you know how many electoral votes biden is going to end up winning at the end of all this 306 and how many did trump win in 2016 306 and the fact that biden's home state his childhood state John McCain's home state mm. and John Lewis's home state are mm. the three states that drove that home is just something that, you know, Aaron Sorkin could never dream of writing. 
Preach. Per, preach with with a capital P right there. And uh, let's let's talk about poetry. Let's talk about let's talk about crying a little bit because, yeah. man, you know when it looked like Arizona was going to be the state to give it to him, Pennsylvania, Georgia was still in question at that point. You know when I was watching CNN, I think it was Jake Tapper, Dana Bash, mm-hmm. Abby Phillips. Shout out to all three of them. Did a great job yeah. all week long, um, as they always do. They were talking about how how poetic would it be if it's uh, John McCain's home state, Arizona, which has been read forever, is the state that flips and gives it pushes Biden over the edge, and how yeah. of all the things to do, Trump in it's not his response to COVID, it's not uh, you know his relationship with Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong Un and all these dictators, it's not. Um, his, you know, environmental genocide. Um, it's not Ukraine, you know, it's not grab her by the pussy. It's, it's just, it's insulting. It's just insulting John McCain. It's just being a dick at the end of everything out of what all he did. It's, it's just being a dick. Um, And And you know what? That's what caused the black women in Georgia to stick with Joe Biden. And that's what caused suburban women around the country to give him the margins he needed to flip these states. So I cried on that couch when when they were talking about that. It was 530 in the morning, but but I I was crying. And that was poetic. You know, Philadelphia, his home state, that was poetic. John Lewis's county, Clayton County. Yeah, that was poetic. Um, Yeah, I mean, you, you said it. Um, so, so that was no. and, and then with yes. his, when he announced it, you know, he ran out on stage. Oh my God. I was like, Joe, don't break a knee. This is not the time, but, but he looks great. He looks great. And you're right. And Philadelphia people were dancing in the streets. I went down to city hall, broad street, independence hall. There was, it's a huge March. People were excited and they were saying it's, it's almost like we had won a war. Right. And that's what it felt or- like. It felt like we had liberated America from this uh, four-year uh, reign of terror. No, I forget who it was, but there was some commentator that was talking about, like they all just blurred together for me at a certain point throughout the week. But, um, but Saturday night before his speech, there was someone who was talking about how like the reactions were the same reactions you see when like dictators are overthrown in other countries. Yeah. So it's, yeah. And I think there's like, there's a lot of, just since that moment of relief and of joy and of happiness, there's been a lot of moments for me of like genuine fear about our institutions and whether they can continue to hold, they'll hold for this round of, they'll hold right now because Biden has a lead that's big enough with an electoral college win that's big enough that they will not be able to overturn this election. But then the fear of what if this had been closer, the fear of how, did, how at the end of the day does a popular vote swing of 10 million, considering the Trump lost by 3 million last time and Biden's on track to win by at least 7 million this time, still result in this exact same number in the Electoral College, combined with the reaction of a lot of, especially federal Republicans right now, uh, is a lot to digest and to think about and be concerned about. But I still am going to cling to the relief that I have in this moment, at least, of knowing that there is some semblance of 
decency that is going to be helming our country again. Because like you said, at the end of the day, he was a dick. <laughs> yeah. And he's, this is what he's doing, been doing now this past week is I, I think it's most dickish moment of all. Yeah. Um, so refusing to concede now, um, yeah. you know, all, all the networks called it for Biden, the world leaders, I mean, except for Vladimir Putin, you know, have called to congratulate Joe Even Biden. Bibi Netanyahu. Bibi Netanyahu Bibi congratulated. Xi Jinping. Um, yep. so, so Trump still doesn't, hasn't conceded. Uh, and not only that, I mean, Thursday, let's starting with Thursday, that night after the election, yeah. he gave some crazy speech about, you know, widespread voter fraud, rigged election, conspiracy, you know, there's no, no evidence clearly. Um, and the networks had to cut away with, from it. Twitter was censoring him from him the whole time. You know, even Fox news was cutting away from him. Yeah. Um, so but so on one hand, like you see Fox News kind of abandoning Trump. But on the other hand, you see, um, I think it was that it, it was if it wasn't that Thursday, it would have been that Friday. But Lindsey Graham and Ted Cruz, two of the most powerful you know, Republicans uh, in the country, um, you know, not outsiders, but insiders. They've been they've been in uh, in Washington for yeah. for long for, you know, as, as long as I can remember. They go on Fox News basically backing up everything Trump has said. Literally saying like Trump, I you know, we stand behind the president 100 percent when he's kind of making these baseless claims that are really dangerous because he has 70 million people listening to him that are going to live the rest of their life believing that this election was rigged. Um, so that is so my optimism and my hope about Saturday it's certainly been diminished by the reaction of major political party in our country. Um, it's hard to get excited because the maybe Trump's going away, but the Republicans aren't going away. And they, I mean, this, I mean they're yeah. totally not credible. Like they, how do you, how are they standing idly by and letting this, letting this happen? This, I mean, uh, in general, I'm just speechless. Like, I don't, I don't have a, I don't have a response to that. Can I don't I, think there is let, a response to that. Let but. me ask you a specific question then, because mm -hmm. um, I think this might be easier, easier to kind of talk about. If it's politics that they're playing, what is, what is their political, what political advantage do they see for backing Trump? It's true that. 70 plus million people voted for Trump, you know, but which is a record for a Republican candidate. But you also the he, Trump is the person who brought out almost 80 million people against him. So attaching yourself to Trump politically, you know, he he, he creates such opposition um, I just don't see how it's politically favorable to tie yourself to Trump, but that's what it seems to be, seems to be happening right now. Trump seems to have a stronghold on a significant base in this country that he is able to turn out, but that significant base at the moment is also the Republican party's base. 
And I think that the political calculations, and I think it's craven and it's disgusting, but the political calculations for people like Cruz and like Graham is, okay, what is, what is 2024 going to look like? Like, cannot, and now Trump's saying that he's going to run again in 2024. There's like those rumors out there that he's going to announce he's going to run again in 2024. But anyways, um, I mean, he might be in jail before 2024, but I digress. Uh, but there's, I guess there'd be a school of thought of saying, you know, if I'm connecting myself with Trumpism now, does that set me up for when he's not there to get that same stronghold and grip on these people, but me being who I am and not being completely flamboyantly out there and crazy, does that maybe tamper some of the opposition that it drives as well? I think that's the calculation. I don't think it's right, but I think that's... So you think that Lindsey Graham, let's focus on Lindsey Graham and Ted Cruz. You think they're doing this because they're thinking of running for president in 2024? For example, like Ted Cruz just won re-election for, as a, for senator. So he, he's not up for re-election for senator for six years. So it's not like he's up for re-election you know, in 2022 and he needs the Trump supporters. Like his seat is safe. So what he's, the heck is he doing? He just well, won. Well, he is up in- or sorry, Lindsey Graham just won. Lindsey, Lindsey Graham, Graham just won yeah. re-election. Ted Cruz is up in 2024. So he's up still. He has four years. Four years. Yeah, is, yeah. No, I know. Is I know. a lot. Is a lot of time. Trump came to power in less than four years. I there's a lot that I think that I understand and try to understand about and politics. Even so, and you're not you're not going to wrestle the nomination away from Trump by backing him up like now's the time to to kind of create that distinction i just i don't get the their political calculus i don't either i was just about to say there's a lot i try to understand <laughs> about why our politicians do what they do and, and this is this is tough it's just it's tough. i mean unless unless they truly i mean there's a flip side of it too that like let's just call it what it is that they might not care about a democratic result and truly want to try to have their party cling to power in whatever means necessary. That's yeah. the flip side of it is that it's not politics that they're playing. You know what I mean? Like that's, I think just important to name as well. And it's scary to name, but, mm. but on the flip side, like as much as, Cruz and Graham are, are saying something and are supporting Trump. The silence from most of the other Republican senators is deafening and to me speaks almost louder. Mm -hmm. And it's, yeah. I mean, it's infuriating. I mean, I feel like I can kind of sense that you're at a loss for, for words. You're just kind of so angry. I, I feel the same way. And this kind of thing has been discussed and written about ad nauseum over the last mm -hmm. few weeks. I don't know how much more, you know, we can it's add not, to yeah, it. Yeah, and it's I don't know either. But it's, it's causing stress, and it's causing like this is gonna this is gonna be a this is gonna be a, it's it's a, it should be a hopeful time for people that you know want to see yeah climate change addressed things you know things of that nature and and it, it's been hard to get excited because we're on edge because it's, it seems like there's this president is, is purging the, uh, Absolutely. <laughs> government departments and putting in his loyalists like that is, you know, 
like that is what dictators and fascists and that's that's what's people like Stalin um, have done. That's what you do to stay in power as a dictator. You, yes. You know, you, you kind of turn a blind eye to deaths. There's 250,000 COVID deaths in the United States right now. Um, mm-hmm. And you just, everything sort of becomes about politics and staying in power and, and lying. It becomes part of the strategy, the primary strategy. Yeah. And I mean, I hear you and I hear your passion and anger too. And I totally agree with it. I think that the couple of things that I'll say is that what's not getting uh, making headline news right now is that Biden is starting to appoint people within his transition team and various positions. And they are incredibly qualified, um, experienced government individuals. And you have to keep in mind, I think that Joe Biden and who he is in his uniqueness as a president elect is someone who has copious amounts of experience and knowledge within the executive branch. So if there's anyone that understands how to address some of this damage that has been done, it will be him and his team. Um, I think this is why I wanna reiterate that like, for me personally, in terms of like what we're seeing in this, let's say the democratic side of the country of this divide between the moderate wing and the progressive wing and the tensions there, like it doesn't matter right now. Mm-hmm. And I just, I worry and I hope that people don't get caught up in the infighting of the policies themselves to not look at the larger picture and recognize that like, even when, and it's going to be a when, this guy is out, there's a party in this country that has created the infrastructure to fascism and authoritarianism, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And that that is what we're fighting right now, as opposed to the minutia of, is it the progressive policies that are being enacted or is it the moderate democratic policies that are being enacted? Because at the end of the day, they're both better than what we've had. A hundred percent agree and, and very well said. And, and, you know, and that that's kind of what makes this feel like, like a war. Like it, it makes it feel like there is a attempted coup in action that we are trying to thwart through our, been, through the, our, our institutions. To bring a little levity to it. I've been calling the Republican party coup curious you know, it's like it's like they're dabbling in it. They don't know if it's really what they want, but like they're willing <laughs> to experiment and try it out. Right, right, right. Um, the other thing that, that gives me hope, your, your first point on on Biden, um, and I he's been handling it, just in my opinion, pretty remarkably so far. I've been really pleased. I, as someone who, I'll admit on air, voted for Joe Biden. Um, <laughs> <laughs> difficult admission I'm, i believe in climate change hello who else am i going to vote for um i voted for joe jorgensen so <laughs> <laughs> i thought uh i think he's been handling it really well and his you know his speech saturday he didn't mention trump once he's he's trying he, to you know extend an olive branch and i think that you have to do that because we're in a really dangerous, you know, position as a country. And, you know, most of Trump's followers seem like they're, you know, even if they have tunnel vision and they're just going to listen to whatever uh, Trump says and ignore what all the networks say, all the networks is now fake news and only Trump is the truth. How crazy is that? Um, you know, this would make for a lengthier podcast, but you also should remember that there is a 
far right fringe media. Um, Sorry, Breitbart. Exactly. But I just, it's important. It's an awful echo chamber, but it's important to call out. Yeah, sure. There's far, far left. There's there's always. Totally. Totally. Yep. Um, Yeah. And if if you want to know what we're talking about, just look at the president's Twitter feed. Um, Yeah. He retweets them. He he retweets (laughs) them. But, you know, while most of the Trump supporters are, you know, they're just going to, you'll never, they'll never, they can never believe that they've been believing a lie. They'll never, you'll never get them to admit that. But some of them, some of them, you can. There were our swing voters. There are people who voted for Trump in 2016 that voted for Biden in 2020. We know that yes. happened. Um, yep. And those people were, perhaps they were tuning in to Biden's speech Saturday, and that's what they wanted to hear. And I think that that was the right message for the right time. He's mostly kind of, he's, he's been talking about COVID. The president was saying COVID would go away after the election. COVID's the worst that it's been now. Mm-hmm. Biden's been taking it seriously. He's been acting as someone that's going to be president. And he's yep. not letting the bullshit that's been going on um, disrupt that. So he's been inhaling it really well. I agree. I think he's doing exactly what he needs to be doing right now. And the other thing to just like for us to continue to remember on the note on a, again, on a positive note, he is about to get over 80 million votes, mm-hmm. which is unheard of. The highest ever before this was Barack Obama in 2008 with 69 million. So 80 million people showed up and voted for Joe Biden. He's about to defeat a sitting incumbent. He's defeated a sitting incumbent president, which is also very rare. And he has defeated a sitting incumbent president by the largest margin of any challenger since FDR defeated Herbert Hoover in 1932. So carry those stats as well. In a pandemic. In a pandemic. Like we where were... he wasn't even, where he was responsibly campaigning by not having rallies and the mm-hmm. other side was doing on the ground, get out the vote, massive rallies as though there was no problem going on at whatsoever. The, the thing about these mail-in ballots too, when you're we're watching the CNN telecast, they give the percentage and they say like you know ninety five percent of the vote in, but they have no idea because they don't ballots. They have no idea how many absentee ballots are coming in. So I think that there uh, people might have predicted that actually voter turnout would have been less this year because of the whole COVID factor, but in in fact it was so much more. And I think now Democrats are are thinking that we should do this every every election pandemic or no pandemic we need to have mail-in ballots because this turns out people in in cities that don't want to wait in long lines and the republicans maybe hey maybe this is part of their political strategy is if they can kind of crack down on mail-in ballots now then for future elections they make it more difficult for people to vote so it's a kind of a form of voter suppression which will disproportionately um, suppress the vote in in urban areas where people are more likely Mm -hmm. to vote by mail Mm-hmm. Yeah, I it's mean, sad. I think it's sad. It's disgusting, and it's voter suppression. And the whole point is, we want to get as many people to vote as possible. That's the goal of a de- democracy. And the fact that they're actively trying to suppress the vote is—it's maddening. But there are groups that are combating it, and that are proving to be successful in certain parts of this country. I think that if you look at the Latino advocacy organizations in Arizona that really pushed get out the vote there. And then what Stacey Abrams has done in Georgia mm-hmm. and really pushing out every single voter you can there, we have we are seeing, we are witnessing the change. Cause I mean, those two really are massive achievements. 
Mm-hmm. And, and thinking about it just pure vote wise in terms of how it shifted, Georgia shifted five points blue from t- four years ago. Arizona shifted four points blue. Like that is that's massive. Huge. That's huge. Yeah. So, so let's 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 move forward. Let's just talk. Let's finish up and and talk about what's going to happen in the next sixty four days. Let's do it. Um. So uh, Trump still hasn't conceded. Nope. Will he? No. I think he'll recognize that he lost, but he'll cage it in some type of, and, you know, it was rigged situation, but I fought as hard as I could. Um, You know, he'll say he lost without actually conceding, saying that it wasn't his fault. Inauguration day. Mm -hmm. Does Trump, you know, is, is Trump there on inauguration day? No, no, I don't think so. Where is he? I don't know in in Mar-a-Lago. <laughs> think Trump's going to be in Mar-a-Lago on inauguration day? <laughs> well, I think it, it's it'll be interesting to see what inauguration looks like, anyways, because it is going to be a COVID inauguration. So I don't know how that's going to impact what we normally would expect out of the ceremony. I mean, biggest crowd ever, obviously. <laughs> well, I do think Probably it's going to be funny. People are in the streets. <laughs> that's true. Um. Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, all right. General Services yeah. Administration. Um, they need to sign right through have their signature before the transition can officially start taking place. Yeah. Um, when does that be signed? Does that does that go all the way up till inauguration day as well? Um, I think it's when the Georgia recount is done and certified. So within the next week. The Georgia recount gets certified within the next week. I believe so. I, that's what, actually what I heard today. The Secretary of State said that he thinks by next Wednesday they'll have the official results, okay. and that it's not looking like anything is changing. Right. Okay. What about Pennsylvania or Arizona? That's not doesn't matter. Well, I think uh, you know once Pennsylvania, there's no recount because it's fifty no sixty thousand votes. Yeah, there's no point. recount in Pennsylvania. So I mean, unless they can pull something with the Republican legislature there. I don't know what the deadline is for when Pennsylvania has to certify its votes, but at a certain point this month they do. And then, I mean, it's official and there's, there's really nothing else they can do. So I can't imagine that that wouldn't be signed once Pennsylvania and Georgia are certified, let alone Arizona, but who, Oh, he can't do a recount actually in Arizona. I don't think, but they're thinking about doing one in Wisconsin. I don't know. Bottom line is it's going to be before the inauguration. Mm. Should, um, Twitter ban Trump. As soon as his presidency is over, yes. So this just the last this I, I, I lied. This is one thing I did want to talk to you about was was free the whole notion of free speech and this election. Twitter f- flagging a lot of Trump's you know mm-hmm. uh, things, and then certain people are saying I, I think the Republicans have kind of become the party of free speech, but really it's a lot of it's racist, sexist, uh, violence, inciting free speech. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but at, at the same time to me, and maybe this is just me, me ranting and maybe that's how we're, we're going to close oh. it. But I'd like you to react yeah. to it. You can't be the party of free speech and also be the party that's anti-free press. <laughs> They are attacking, to quote Rudy Giuliani, 
all the major networks, all the networks, they're the free press. If, if the free press, if you're saying the free press is fake, the free press is free speech. You're saying free speech is fake. You can't be the party of free speech and call the free press fake. Yeah, I you can have I, it both ways. I completely agree. And I would say, you know, free speech when this when this country was founded was, you know, free to, to print your own thing in your own platform in your own way, or free to stand on the side of the street and scream whatever the hell you want at the masses that are going by. When we're talking about massive tech companies, right. they are private companies that it's can true. institute their own standards and they can decide what breaks their standards or not. And I thought that the Republican Party used to be pro-business and pro-large <laughs> pro, um, companies and apparently now certain companies can't actually institute morals or standards for their services and their usage by um, their the users. You're right. And, and free speech is not free tweeting or it's not free, you know, printing. It's speaking. Like you said, it's standing on a corner and saying yeah. what you want. Um, so I don't know this. Uh, it's just every, anytime that's that, you know, the, I feel like it's uh, the right or the intellectual dark web claims yep. that the left is a, is attacking free speech. You can't say this. You can't say that you're going to offend me. You can't say that. It's like, well, you're, you're the one calling the free press, all the major <laughs> networks, fake news. <laughs> like I said, Henry, there are some things that I try to understand and there are some things I just never will. Mm. But um, yeah. all right, let's do oh, do boys. a little do a couple of just uh, rapid fire questions. <laughs> yeah, great. How to end this? I haven't prepared Perfect. these, but I'm just going to ask them. Amazing. It'll make us feel better. What's your favorite yeah. animal? Favorite animal? Uh, dolphin. 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 Yeah. Have you ever seen a dolphin? I have seen a dolphin. When I visited uh, in Poppy in Florida, we went. We've gone kayaking and we've seen some dolphins. <laughs> What's your favorite land animal? Um, I, I am going to say this because recently I've been leaning on them just for emotional support and I will have to say dogs. That's fair. Um, is there a particular tree that you've befriended in your life that you've attached sentimental value to perhaps in yes. a park or your backyard growing up or a country house? Well, no, uh, yeah, the answer is yes, but it's a little bit of a sad story because when in our first house in Lexington that we lived in, I remember there was this tree that grew like right outside of my childhood bedroom. That was this like tree that um, had these beautiful purple flowers. And I just remember like always waking up, getting out of bed and like seeing that bright purple color in the morning to help me wake up and put me in a good mood. And then we moved. And then the next time that I went by and looked at the house after we moved, the tree had been cut down, but God. provided me a lot of a, uh, Great childhood memories. When was the last time or the last time or a time that you can remember that you've cried tears of joy? Uh, the, the day that the election was called. <laughs> <laughs> Just, I tried up these tear ducts that day. You, you joy. <laughs> joy and relief <laughs> depended on the hour. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that uh, that makes me happy. Although I also, I will just put another plug in for Little Miss Sunshine. I did cry tears of joy during Little Miss Sunshine. 
It's a beautiful movie. What was the part that you cried at? There's there's no spoiler. This movie is over ten years old. No, yeah, yeah. No it's it's when when the um when the whole family gets up on stage and after everything they've been through, yeah, uh, just celebrate their uniqueness together in the midst of all the absurdity of the beauty pageant around them. Yeah, beautiful. It's a beautiful movie. I watched the the squid and the whale this past weekend. Very beautiful movie. Oh, I don't think I've ever seen that, but I will add it to my list. Mm-hmm. Cool. Very good. Um, so Thanksgiving 2020, what are you, what are you doing? I, I hoped you weren't going to ask this because I feel like you're going to get a little <laughs> jealous, but, um, Eli and, uh, the folks and I are, the four of us have the Berkshire house for the weekend. I'm not so jealous, we man. I'm, okay. I'm not jealous. I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy that, that good. some, some good is happening. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and it's going to, yeah. it'll be sad because we'll miss all of you, but, um, we'll be thinking of you. No, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be happy that a Thanksgiving is happening in that house. That's that's huge, and that yeah. alone is is very meaningful. Um, so, what right. are what are you doing? Are you seeing family, or just? I mean, obviously, Plan A fell through. Plan B, now we're in this this fall wave coming up. So I was gonna go to wow. Jersey, see the grandma, but yeah. I don't think that's feasible anymore so probably just gonna be in philly riding out the storm well i'm sure at some point intentionally this time we will be facetiming you from the berkshires <laughs> to say hello over thanksgiving weekend uh, i would really like that um awesome okay well all right well, this is great this is longer longer than i thought we'd go for but obviously lots to uh, to talk about well it was a long election it was a long election it's still Absolutely. going on and it still is but it's always a joy and a pleasure to speak with you and to see your face. Always a joy and a pleasure to have you on.